Welcome to the Week in Sports Cars here on the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, and oh, that's not it. That's not all. Brought to you by the editor of DailySportsCar.com, the, all caps, what font size? Like 100 maybe? <laughs> Graham Goodwin. The Graham Goodwin is here. My co-pilot, my brother, my fellow... Uh, admirer of of animal husbandry <laughs> i shouldn't have said that the police are now uh, coming after me for acknowledging uh, our love of animal husbandry but all that stuff aside graham goodwin thank you to you and also to my occasional deputizer super sub you name it the uh, perry mccarthy of the weekend sports car show <laughs> Stephen kilby who uh, stepped in for me last week while having to deal with some uh pressing matters with the loss of a dear friend and mentor so how you doing when are we getting going and what are we talking about first in terms of categories since you select those things we're all good i join you from an airbnb in provence uh with mrs dsc editor the lovely trudy we're having a bit of a break before a long delayed for covid family wedding just down the coast uh in the south of france um this weekend um so a little bit of a break but um did, did a little bit of work around that one um our best wishes to you uh, and, and the whole indycar family uh, for the loss of robin that was a hammer blow i know to you pal and you know yes it was late notice but Stephen couldn't have been happier in the in the circumstances to to fill your boots while you wrote the most extraordinary tribute to a man the whole racing world's gonna miss that said, let's push on, and we're going to kick off this week with IMSA. Uh, I'm particularly uh, keen to kick off with IMSA because you broke a big story and in a uh, ocean of good news stories, Marshall, for sports car racing lately. Um, there's one depression uh, on the weather map, and that was the story you broke with Audi. Uh, well, Audi uh, not doing the Emerson WeatherTech Sports Car Championship with a full factory effort. And we've got, um, I think you would say, a heck of a bunch yes. of questions about that. Uh, now, let's have a quick look. I think we've got somewhere between three and 5,000. I don't mean between 3,000 and 5,000. <laughs> somewhere between three and 5,000. Uh, they come, amongst others, from Stephen Oliff, Rishi Deshpande, uh, Dan, Texas Hombre, Otto Kinsler IV, uh, Daniel Summersgill, uh, Joe Nautney, Amanda Rando Jr. That's one I've not uh, seen before on the weekend sports cars. Tom Firth, etc., etc., etc. Let's just get stuck into it. Tell us what you can, MP, uh, around this story, and we'll get into some of the specifics of those questions as we go through. Worth doing a quick little background here knowing that not all of our listeners happen to read the nonsense that i uh put out surely not heard maybe two weeks ago and don't hold me to the exact timeline but heard a couple weeks ago but not too long ago about this and it came as a complete shock to the point that i've been waiting i hadn't written the story yet as you and I, and I'm sure other journos do somewhat often, if you know something's going to happen in advance or you highly expect it, right? Just look, I, we're pretty confident that's going to happen. It's not abnormal to put the bones of a story together and just have it sitting and waiting. So as it gets closer 
or even if you learn, oh, tomorrow so-and-so is going to announce this, you at least have something ready to react swiftly. Maybe you get that press release, you cut and paste the quotes into it, and then you send it off. And so within a few minutes of that going public, you actually have a story that can go live instead of having to start from scratch. Hadn't gotten to that point yet with Audi and who I thought was going to be their factory team, but I thought I had it fairly well nailed, Graham, on who it was going to be and was actually joking in a conversation with that person. Hey, what's going on? I figured this would be out by now. To which they said, nope. Uh, a big, big nope for the list for the watchers of the uh, one of my favorite cartoons, uh, Archer, his uh, his paramour, uh, Lana. Uh, there's a big nope right there, and was then informed that indeed, uh, the talks had broken off, not due to any issues with the negotiations themselves, but the manufacturer had decided, well. <laughs> There's no real needs, no real reason to keep speaking about this and having you or any other team as our factory arm in North America because we're no longer going to do this as a factory program in North America. At which point I had all kinds of cartoon-like responses, jaw dropping to the floor, steam pouring out of my ears, eyes spinning around and around and around, and... Tried to process that, was immediately brought back to why it might happen, and to the questions that were asked, uh, everyone here, yes. Uh, It came back to an affirmative answer uh, that actually has been a problematic one, Graham, here in North America between the mothership, uh, Audi AG, and Audi of America. So I'll get to the finer points in just one Mm -hmm. second. But this came as a shock and came as a result, as I have since learned and confirmed in more than one place from impeccable sources as being accurate and true um, for this same old lingering issue. And this is that. Back in the LMP900, LMP1 days with Audi AG engaged with Audi of America, We're not really, Graham, talking about the teams that ran those cars. Champion Racing or a hybrid of Champion plus Audi. It has nothing to do with teams. The issues that were had back then that I heard about, was told about frequently in those glorious LMS days up through the 2008 season, Audi pulling out with their R10 diesel uh, after the uh, conclusion of 2008. Just heard... Fairly frequent stories, my friend, of, there's a marriage. Well, let me rephrase that. Um, It's maybe more parent-child with Audi AG and Audi of America. Or so you would think. You might think Audi of America being a subsidiary of Audi AG, that there would be some sort of control that could be applied. Hi, we're going to do this big, expensive prototype program in your North America region. Great. Well, we're not paying for all of it, right? Uh, Of course, we will pay for some, but this is a giant marketing effort, a giant branding effort. We're promoting the heck out of Audi in North America 
together through this racing campaign. Wouldn't be too crazy, Graham, to think that the uh, the home affiliate might be a significant player and contributor in the funding of that. Well, we'll just call these uh, alleged. <laughs> what if allegedly the uh, the home base was not getting the full buy-in or full delivery and receipt of that shared? expenditure what if one side of this parent-child relationship what if the uh, the child wasn't living up to what they said they would do wasn't coming through wasn't covering off whether it's invoices big or supplier invoices or just straight marketing expenditures what if the, uh, the parent is ending up having to cover more of the bill than they were supposed to. And there's just significant problems with the child doing as it said it would. Well, heard about that frequently. And this, of course, Graham, comes amid championship after championship after championship. That's what made it amusing. Wait a minute. You're operating. You're highly, highly functional in terms of what you're doing and what you're putting on track. That's all amazing. But this kind of nonsense has taken place behind the scenes? What? And so since then, obviously it's been, what, 13 years since that program, there have been some other uh, parent-child type things that have gone on over here in endurance racing. Nothing big, though, right? Nothing where you go, wow, the full weight and measure of the factory is being felt and kind of understood why. Not only did they not have, say, a big prototype program to do, but really wasn't a whole lot to do GT-wise outside of their GT3 model. So when I heard, hey, Audi's coming back, LMDH, going to do dual programs, right? We've both been told, many folks been told, two cars in WEC, two cars in IMSA. Great customer thoughts as well. Just that little tickle in the back of your throat where you go, okay, (laughs) I sure hope the old nonsense doesn't flare up. And I have heard and been told in multiple ways by very real people uh, that, yes, indeed, the owning up or, I shouldn't say owning up, living up to the expectation of, yes, this is a factory thing. The factory is based in Germany, but we're doing this in North America as well in partnership with Audi of America. This is a marketing and promotions effort to help sell our cars, your cars, in your region. We therefore would expect for this, again, like it was back in the day, to be a shared thing. Okay, no? Oh, uh, hmm? So I don't have all the full details on how conversations went down and where things broke down specifically, but I've heard that, yes, the same old thing of, oh, my my home and beloved Audi affiliate uh, is not ready, was not ready, or just simply did not want to pony up whatever amounts were needed for this factory campaign to take place in North America. Therefore, hey, if you love the four rings and prototypes and LMDHs, and from a factory effort, you're going to get to see them in the WEC, assuming that they come over for Sebring and who knows, whatever else 
uh, IMSA and the WEC might come up with where they uh, they partner together on events. You would expect to see those factory entries here starting in 23, but very limited basis. Last thing to close on this, Graham, is have heard that in the absence of a factory Audi LMDH effort in North America doesn't mean we won't have or couldn't have a privateer entry or two, or I can't tell you how many, what the number might end up being, but heard solid Intel as well. Not a lot of specifics on it. This team, that team would do it, whatever else, but heard some solid Intel that minus the factory angle, there could indeed actually be uh, one or two or maybe even more uh, privateer Audis. I don't know if we'd go as far as calling them semi-works. I don't know if it'd be a straight up, we've purchased whatever amount and hired you all to deliver technical support, which is kind of a common thing when you have a, a true privateer running a factory level car. I can't tell you if there would be a wider engagement from the factory saying, okay, well, we'll, uh, we're not going to be here on our own, but we'll invest a little something in this relationship to give you and us a better chance of succeeding. Can't tell you if that would be the case, but I think in the absence of their own full factory deal, something like that might make sense. Uh, if the dollars are not too crazy to make that happen. So, <sighs> well, that was a deep breath one, wasn't it? I mean, and I think that's that's one of the big issues at the moment with LMDH is we don't know, and neither, it seems, do some significant potential customers know what the actual numbers are going to be. Uh, the, the one number that's been touted my way for WEC uh, full season is between deep breath, five and 10 million euros for a season. That's a big spread, uh, uh, if you ask me. And that, uh, that came from extremely senior source um, within the organizing body. Colin so, Collins. No. It definitely wasn't Colin. No, Colin, Colin doesn't go for cheap, uh, cheap numbers like that. Um, but the, <laughs> there are a lot of unknowns. Um, and maybe this is a bit of a wake-up call. Uh, as we said, solidly good news stories all the way down the line with the new era of sports car racing. But uh, here we go. Here goes one that perhaps isn't that uh, that good news. And let's let's hope MP that you're right and your sources are correct, and we've got potentially multiple customer uh, Audis to join the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. Um, those questions, but that, that covers off Stephen Olive, Rishi Deshpande, uh, Texas Ombre, Dan. Uh, and also Kinsel the fourth, um, and indeed Daniel Summersgill's question. Uh, I think you've also answered Joe Nohotny's uh, question about how long it's been percolating. Uh, Mando Brando Jr., great, that is a great name. Um, well, since we won't get an Audi factory effort, uh, how could you expect the customer teams to be? I think the answer here is anybody coming forward and representing a brand like that you'd sort of expect they would almost certainly be pretty top-notch, would you not, MP? I they would. do have an option, of course, not to sell a car. Well, I guess we should also draw a little bit of a dis- distinction. Utter crap teams could reach out for sure. Uh, <laughs> there's nothing stopping idiots from inquiring. I mean, I may as well inquire just to ensure at least one idiot has. But, yeah, 
the the more practical point is this, and this is actually where I think if there's a secondary change for us to consider here with this story, it's minus the factory program in IMSA from Audi. I wonder if and how that might shift Audi's view of who they might sell customer cars mm-hmm. to and then support. Do I think that if we'd had the two full factory entries, they might have been a little looser? Not a lot, but just a little more open to, oh, okay, I don't know if that team is what I would say brilliant, but we know that we're going to have high-quality, high-caliber, two-car effort. That's totally covered off, all good. Therefore, again, happy to sell. Everything we sell is going to offset costs a little bit. That's all going to be good. So maybe, again, if we have a few more inquiries from a few more teams and and people that I don't know if we would say we're 100% stoked about, well, listen, I wonder how that might change and maybe apply a, a... harder filter actually i don't know if you agree if they would apply a a looser or wider or whatever a stronger filter uh, knowing that they won't be there the quality won't be guaranteed uh from those two car uh, that two car factory effort so would an audi say well you know we we can support but that's going to require you know money and people and, and a truck or two to go around and engineers right they were already already going to be there when we were coming as a factory, but since we're not, it's going to take a, a fairly serious investment from our end to put a full customer, you know, hey, you smashed the nose five times. Uh, you're out of them. Well, guess what? We've got plenty on the truck. We've got this. We've got, right, all the things that you would get from a, a proper customer-supported uh, program. Again, just curious. Would Audi say, all right, uh, maybe we're going to screen out some of the semi-jokers who we didn't think were going to do too much for us before, but weren't a big concern. Now, maybe if we're going to do it, do we apply that, hard, that harder filter and say, you better be a pretty darn good team, one that we could see taking our car into victory lane based on your skill um, in order for us to make this infrastructure and personnel investment uh, to help try and get you there as well. Lots going on. Lots going on with uh, Audi, and still clearly some questions to be asked. Let's move on, though. I think I hear you um, making pork and beans in the background. By the way, I know. I wish that was true. Actually, we, 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 we're holding off making dinner uh, till we sort this out. It's kebabs tonight. Trudy's cooking tonight. I cooked late yesterday evening. Um, steak. I think I did it okay. She survived, so we're okay through that one. Did spend a lot of time in the bathroom, but uh, then she is female. Um, hey, you think we, what is that? What is I'm, what I'm, kind of old nonsense tropes is that? I I, I'm, oh, yeah. I'm going to give you both a timeout and a me too. I tell you what. I tell you, I tell you what, Marshall. I just had that look from Trudy, which you, as a married man, will recognize. Yeah, but look. see, the difference is, I, I know where you fell. I know why you fell short here. You don't fear <laughs> your wife's ability to cl- take your life at any point in time in the same way that I do. So I'm well, just. She was, she was trained to kill with every single part of her body, wasn't she, Chabrol? Well, she I'm was, just I saying. Mean, I'm when we're done here, Trudy and I are going to talk. We're going to get her into some classes. Get your ass to shape right up. Uh, all right, uh, where, where are we going uh, okay, to uh, close in? So, 
couple of couple of uh, things to cover off. James Cantor says, "Do you think the number of available chassis was a factor for the Audi decision not to race as a factory in IMSA?" No. no. Um, what's the reason? Uh, let's have a quick look. Uh, do you think an Audi factory program may come in twenty four or twenty five if the IMSA competition is particularly strong or weak? I mean, this this is a a funding. This is a funding thing. Think of this as no different than you and a friend saying, hey, you want to go in and and buy something that's cool and do it together. And your friend says, yeah. And then you find out the price and your friend goes, no. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, uh, no. So, again, but here's the thing. I don't know the the mechanisms, Graham, the the levers to pull to tighten the noose around whatever, but I do have to think, knowing how important North America is to Audi and their sales and marketing and promotions and everything else, of course the the Volkswagen group is going to be here with Porsche. We fully expect to hear that Lamborghini will be coming here soon, part of that same group. Yep. Had expected Audi to be here as well. Why, crazily enough, would the Volkswagen Group have three different brands competing in the same market? I've read plenty of people uh, in reaction to the Audi not doing IMSA thing. You know, some sort of like, well, duh. You know, I oh, I always expected this. Uh, what was the line that you found? Uh, not no surprise. Uh, to be honest, or whatever kind of you know nonsense, like really, no one uh, yeah. was talking yeah. about this beforehand. No, I no, wasn't no. talking about it beforehand. No, it's, but anyways, uh, no, this wasn't something anybody expected. Uh, no, this isn't because oh, we'll see. You know, oh, they Volkswagen Group had to cut somebody. Why would they compete against each other? And you go, I don't know. Have you watched? Did you watch Le Mans at all there for uh, quite some time, uh, or the American Le Mans series or whatever else? But anyways. Um, this has nothing to do with any of that. It is simply my American compatriots at Audi not pulling their thumb out and not stepping up in the way that they're supposed to. Could that change? Is there, again, a lever, a something, a pressure, whatever, from within the, the mothership in Germany to say, hey, you're doing it? Uh, I don't know, but I hope that they do. So could this story change for 24 or 25 it's absolutely possible. I just don't know how the mothership makes that happen because clearly they expect their American arm to step up and shoulder their financial you know, share. Uh, get that solved? We're going to have three uh, Volkswagen Group brands competing here, all trying to promote their stuff and sell cars. That's why they're sending in commissioning Multimatic to build a, this is another technical term, buttload of chassis to support this. Aren't they all competing against each other? Yes, they are, but what are they trying to do? Get people to buy their vehicles, which therefore funds the racing program. So, again, none of this stuff is a mystery, but uh, I guess for some they think that uh, they have all the answers solved. Okay, let's push on with a couple of other quick ones before we finish with IMSA. One of them, odd enough, uh, comes from John Day, and uh, John says, "What happened about with no, 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 no? Okay, no, no. Far, I mean, far. I'd answer his questions. I mean, I did for like a really long time, but you know, okay." <laughs> 
<laughs> no, there's nothing funny there. We used to work together. Uh, I, I hired him at speed. It's all good. Yeah, fair enough. Went out and about. Your fault. Uh, uh, with work last week, says John. Happened to be very close to the Millbrook testing grounds. That's in the UK. Uh, and uh, came across a Multimatic motorsport transporter parked up in a lay-by. Am I overthinking things? Could there be a link between the two? Have they been running something behind closed doors at Millbrook? I could answer this one uh, to a degree. I mean, I have um, been behind closed doors at Millbrook. It's a very, very impressive place. Uh, lots and lots of different test tracks, including a speed bowl there. It's not really a kind of motorsport test venue. Uh, I think what we need to get our heads around is just how big an operation Multimatic is, and in particular their kind of bespoke vehicles, uh, their their, uh, motorsport side of things, amongst the other things beyond the current Mazda DPI and the coming LMDH, the Mustang GT4 is one of their programs. Uh, Multimatic. Multimatic also responsible, by the way, for the build of the Aston Martin Valkyrie and something I didn't know until I bumped into Larry Holt at uh, Le Mans is also dealing with the design engineering and build of the AMG One hypercar. Uh, So they are very busy indeed. Distinctly possible that it's one of those or something completely different uh, that Multimatic may or may not have been testing at Millbrook. Do I think it would have been an LMDH? I think it's highly unlikely, is the straight answer. The plus side with Millbrook, it is a secure location, so if they were doing any kind of filming, it's possible. But what we do know, MP, is that as and when those cars first test, they will not be testing as a full MDH for reasons that uh, the hybrid drive isn't ready yet. Well, I mean, if you want to go in that negative direction of citing factual things i mean i guess that's your 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 prerogative but you know whatever mr stating facts um facts yeah uh um, tom bacon tom bacon what do you, who do you expect uh, he says who do you expect marshall to fill the action express seat for next season after felipe nazar's move to audi yeah, expect it again, unconfirmed. But again, I think like you have heard this so many times from real people. Yep. Um, I won't say whether I have or have not communicated with uh, Felipe on this as well. Um, I don't know. I really don't. And is it because it's such a huge mystery that nobody could figure out? Probably not. I'm sure some smart fans have sussed it out or other reporters have. I just haven't had the time spent the time maybe those are the same things um haven't really sat down to try and figure out who what where why and when um i know of one change to action expresses one full-time and one part-time entry for next year an additional change i should say um not mentioning that right now at that driver's request but, yeah, uh, there will be at least two changes in the lineup for next year. Um, okay. I can tell you about one when I'm able to tell you. And uh, the main one being asked about, I'm going to do something crazy, Graham, and just straight up say, I don't know. Fair dues. Well, I think that's uh, two things. That's number one, and I don't know, which I think has become uh, part of the modus operandi of the weekend sports cars well we don't know we'll say we don't know and the other one is 
Look at you there, Marshall Pruitt, respecting a driver's wishes to keep his um, potential deals and actual deals off the internet for a little wee while uh, so that it doesn't damage his career. Damn you. Um, I mean, but that's totally normal. Come on, I know you're you're being sarcastic, but that's totally normal. I mean, there's another another story. Uh, I won't mention which series. I won't mention any of that. There's another story that I was specifically, well, I called a person yesterday again i'm not telling you male female old young whatever i called someone yesterday to say hi i've heard a thing i've heard that thing from a couple of well-placed real people not jokers not people making it up at the pub um holy cow if it's real that is a thing like wow like this would be giant story truly uh possibly possibly among the biggest things I could have or would have ever broken in my career. Like, really, that level of wow. Uh, But I have a slight concern that if I were to publish that right now, while I know it's not a done deal, but there are talks taking place and it could happen, that while I might win the internet for a day or however long, um, this might actually do some damage. That's that's what I think. Am I at all close to which the person, after they took a deep breath, um, said, yes, please do not mention that. Please don't hint at it. Please don't do anything. It'll kill it right now. Said, great. So I was calling. Truly. Just it is a heat check is all it was, right? You call someone and go, hey, how, how is this on fire yet? Or is this an ember? Or, you know, tell me, give me the danger level. And they said, yeah, this could blow up the whole thing. And I'm like, okay, well, that's why I called. Thought that might be the case. Hoped it wasn't, but thanks for telling me. And uh, we'll respect your wishes to do nothing with it. And, again, this is not unique. Regardless of the potential size of the story, I would have to believe every reporter does this, has done it, will do it, whatever. Again, it's part of the trade. Get a call back five minutes later from the same person saying, hey, uh, reached out to someone else involved here, um, and uh, they and 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 I really really would appreciate it if if you didn't uh, mention this that and the other and so on and so forth and blah 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 and I'm like, yeah, we just spoke five minutes ago. I told you I wasn't. Well, I know, but I mean, just you know, we, we'd really appreciate. And I'm I'm trying to figure it out. I'm like, okay. I mean, I knew this was a big thing before, but the amount of reaction that was coming from it helped me to understand. Like, holy crap, this is a big thing. So, anyways. this is not. This is not. The, this is not the Scott Tucker to. All right, you got it. You it? got it. <sighs> Freaking Goodwin. Oh, there's you me. I've just blown it. Yeah, just uh, blown it. He's uh, he's he's burrowed out of the. Uh, <laughs> he's burrowed out of the cell. Right, just like uh, Sophia Florish had that little hidden mobile phone in the cockpit to try yep. and call. Well, he uh, he had a little miniature phone with a little digging apparatus on the back uh, hidden away, and that's how he got out. So anyways, uh, all that stuff aside, I then had the person tell me that the other person they spoke to that's in an even higher place of authority say, promise that if you don't talk about it now, we'll give the story to you first. And I replied and said, thanks, appreciate that. It's not necessary. This is like, I'm just, what I told you the first time was plenty and enough for me. I told you I wouldn't. I I gave enough of a crap knowing the people involved here and 
how a story could negatively affect them if the timing was off. You said the timing's off. Don't do it. The whole thing will fall if you do. But got it. I called you to inquire. You told me, yeah, your fears are well-founded. I said, got it. Sitting on it. And you then called back as if you thought I was lying and implored a few more times to not do it and are trying to incentivize me to not do it. I'm like, again, I appreciate you. I'm calling you here out of respect for you. Don't worry about it. Didn't think that was enough. And so I ended up sending a text to follow up. That is what is next. It's going to be Weck, Aslam's, Elms, and Aco. And at this point, it is, of course, traditional that you start flinging stuff at me like a crazed gibbon. Crazed gibbon. That... uh, (laughs) Yet another stripper name callback of mine that uh, that you've oh, yeah. come up with here. All right, we're going to go with J.M. Chandler uh, at Ginger Spice on Twitter. Not sure if I recall a question from J.M. Chandler before, and uh, if this is your first, thank you. If it's not, we apologize because we not remember good uh he jet tinder uh dollar wall let's see matthew license all axing about the locks uh yep. something you and i have spoken about i'll be lying if i said i ever have seen anything you've written just because i don't know if i've looked to uh make sure what we've spoken about has reached print but certainly the locks project hypercar yep. what uh, it is is it real etc etc um so first and foremost, absolute kudos to Gary Watkins from Autosport, the UK, uh, veteran sports car reporter, who brought this one to uh, to light. And this is Velox Motorsports um, with Sam Lee, uh, who you may remember if you've got a long memory behind the Audi Sport UK uh, and yes. the rates that contested the very early years of the Le Mans series. Uh, Sam certainly has the means, without a shadow of a doubt, to bring something forward. And what the story basically says is something like 24, 25, that he appears to have um, registered the trademarks for uh, under the Fangio name for motorsports and road-going uh, cars and intends to bring an LMH car uh, to the FI World Insurance Championship and to the Le Mans 24 Hours uh, in the... Either the second or third year of this converged uh, class. Um, and what do I think? Uh, I think it's very probably real. What, what I can tell you about Sam Lee and about the Velox area, they've certainly been looking for a program, a very high-profile program indeed, for some years. There have been a couple of false starts, without a shadow of a doubt. Uh, I will preface this, by the way, saying that whilst I've got some feelers out, I've not spoken to anybody directly, principally because High Rock... Um, principally because we've been away on this trip, but I'm chasing down some leads uh, on this pro- uh, project. But um, my strong feeling, bearing in mind uh, Gary's reputation professionally, and bearing in mind the people involved uh, in this alleged program, it is it's it's very real indeed. Does that mean it's definitely happening? Does it mean you know that there's a car designed and we'll start to see announcements of drivers? No, it doesn't. I think we're way away from that yet. But this is a very, I think the best word I can use with this one, MP, is credible. This is a very credible operation. Uh, The means to do it are absolutely certainly there. Um, And it follows uh, a long period of time, years, where 
the the people involved here have been looking for an appropriate outlet um, for both the talent and the resource that would be involved in doing this. So uh, I hope it's true, because if it is, it brings some very well-known names back into uh, frontline uh, endurance racing and some some names that people would be very pleased to see back in uh, frontline endurance racing. And I hope we'll see a lot more information very soon about just exactly what's behind this program. Love the... Uh, should, the uh, so I was going to say, love the idea of regist- registering the uh, the vehicle name under Fangio. Any yeah. word if someone has registered a competing brand as Moss. That would be awesome. Moss. Well, would it just? Oh, by the way, the Ulrich Beretsky part of this, uh, which I've just noticed is part of the question, I would be, I wouldn't be at all surprised if that was real. Uh, Ulrich Beretsky, of course, the the engineering genius behind the engine programs for the Audi LMP programs for many many years. And if Ulrich uh, is involved in that in any way, you can be assured it will be spectacularly well engineered. Um, there's a lot more names to come with this one. I think this will be one that will follow as a kind of uh, background program as all the rest of the things that we know are coming uh, come forward. But uh, credible, I think, is the word right now. Very credible. Congrats to uh, to Gary for actually breaking the story. And I hope we will hear more of it in due course in the coming weeks and months and years for that matter. But uh, But yeah. Good stuff. Another name to add to what's getting to be an almost embarrassingly long list, MP. Speaking of embarrassing, I'm going to throw in a question here just as a little Go bit of it. a palate cleanser and then get back to uh, some serious questioneering. Uh, our pal Joachim Bernardson says, hey, guys, have you heard anything about Baikalis and their hypercar? Um, yeah, we'll just stop there. What have you heard other than me referencing Colin Collis earlier in the show for no particular reason? Uh, the the answer is absolutely nothing, and that sort of registers my interest levels at the moment. To be honest with you, um, if they turn up, that'd be great. Um, I see all sorts of attitudes and outlooks on the bicolors kind of uh, entry. It did feature, by the way, in one tweet from I think I'm right, the ACO to do with who's committed to hypercar strongly suspect the person putting that tweet together had not spoken to the people who do the important things like collecting the money um so i i've not heard anything we do know that they did you know put out feelers for certain required members of staff some uh, some hybrid engineering etc etc but that's now nearly two years ago i've heard literally zero about that program since then um, and, you know, I, frankly, we'll be a lot more excited about a lot of other things. Uh, it's as simple as that. So that's not, you know, a slur on by Collis. Please and don't get a hit team dispatched from Bulgaria or wherever to take the Again. two of us out. Please, please don't. Again? Yes. <laughs> but no, I think the answer there is um, hashtag wait and see. Uh, hashtag really don't care. And a big nose blast to follow that. Look at that. All right. We're going to move to a more serious topic, courtesy of Ricky Excellent. Zagata and Jonathan Wesley. Go with Ricky first, talking about new LMP2 rules, Graham. What is going on yep. with the new LMP2 rules? Ricky asks, <laughs> I find it hard to understand that so many manufacturers have committed to LMDH, 
but the base rule set of those vehicles has not been released. Uh, and Jonathan adds some more, a little bit more shade to that. But why don't we cover off Ricky's first? Well, first things first, because I don't think we've got a question uh, elsewhere on it. Uh, some good news this week with uh, another big name committing to LMP2. And presumably beyond that, it's a, it's a, an indication that there's another big team coming or looking to get involved in the converged hypercar LMBH class. And that is Prima Power Team, a big team in single-seater racing in Europe. Yes. Um, it, in concert with Iron Links, um, have ordered... Uh, at the moment, a single Orica 07 chassis will be coming to the WEC in 2022. Uh, in fact, oddly enough, uh, earlier today, Orica showing off their latest uh, 07 being shaken down by Manu Collard at, um, at uh, Paul Ricard. Chassis number, would you believe, MP, 85 for the Orica 07. Okay, that includes the 05s before it, but most of those were converted. But uh, whether or not that is the Prima uh, chassis. We'll wait and see, but it very likely uh, could be. Um, so what do we know? We know that we've got at least two years with the current cars uh, so to the end of 23 uh, for the current cars. So 2024 at the moment is the most likely point at which we'll get the new LMP2 cars based on the same chassis, of course, as the LMDH cars from the four nominated chassis suppliers. We don't yet have information from any of those. There's lots of talk about who may do what and who may not uh, may not do what in that marketplace. But that's the basis of the chassis. We don't yet know what the engine is going to be for that, uh, and that would again be something where. Uh, there would be a tender, I'm sure, on the same basis that successfully Gibson have supplied LMP2 uh, cars for this current uh, rule cycle since 2017. But that tender, again, has not been released. You would expect, MP, I think it would be fair to uh, expect that potentially a down-tuned 600 horsepower 4.2 litre V8 might not be the thing if you're trying to keep uh, those cars... <sighs> Yeah, within the kind of performance parameters that you'd expect them to be sitting below the new hypercar class. You wouldn't necessarily use the same engine. And I think uh, most people are expecting you, you probably wouldn't use that engine. And it might be something, you know, a little closer to where the LMP2 cars are now at about 536 brake horsepower. Um, so uh, that part of it not yet known either. So we're expecting... At some point, the performance parameters, um, the, indica the, uh, the intention of the four chassis manufacturers and indeed an engine program, and for that matter, uh, a tyre tender as well, to come forward uh, at some point, I'd have guessed reasonably soon, um, but quite when there will be chassis available to test as an LMP2 is quite another story. Uh, bearing in mind that, uh, what do we know? Uh, we know that three of the chassis manufacturers are busy with LMDH programs, uh, not, uh, namely uh, Multimatic with the VAG brands previously mentioned, uh, Delara uh, with, we expect, Cadillac and BMW, and Acura Honda and potentially others with Orica. Uh, the, well, the outlier at the moment is Ligier, um, who whilst they've got some chassis work uh, with Peugeot, do not at the moment have a declared LMDH customer. So lots going on. Um, <sighs> Rulemakers extremely busy. 
but no clarity at the moment for what the future shape of LMP2 will be. And the closer it gets to that, that, that point, uh, the more I think the LMP2 teams are worrying that they're not able to plan forward. So I'm hoping we're going to hear something sooner rather than later. You mentioned tire tenders. Yeah. I like chicken tenders. Tire, tire tenders <laughs> don't sound good, Graham. They sound tire, like way tire. too chewy, unless they're Little Cooper rubbery. tire tenders. Yeah. Like that's the only brand. <laughs> Of rubber-based food that I really enjoy <laughs> popping into the oven. So there you go. Can they, you tell I'm hungry? Lasted. It's lunchtime. I'm a fat they, guy. They People last a long, long. They last a long, long time. Yeah, <laughs> they. Tri- yeah, uh, tire tenders. They'll triple stint in your lower intestines. Uh, let's see. Uh, do we want to add uh, Jonathan Wesley's uh, shades and colors of LMP2 rule stuff? Just the following one. Oh, says, uh, Wait, hey, Rock. Yes, <laughs> hey, Rock. Very rock. Dude, he is, he is... Rock, you're a mess. Okay? I get it. <laughs> you want to eat. Jonathan says... Yeah, Jonathan says... When a fairly innocuous sounding BOP change such as that handed to the Ferraris between qualifying and the race at La Monica is how much of a disruption to the pre-race routine you is know it? You it when Graham said the word disruption? I know. Was that t- and again, I'm just saying it's this. It, it's an earmuffs moment. He's an asshole. It's a BOP warning. He's an asshole when he wants warning. to be fed, but then he's the sweetest thing after. Sorry. <laughs> we're dealing with pet interventions uh, here. It says... How, how easy is it for the teams to reduce the fuel tank capacity and boost levels of the engine at short notice? How much time would they typically get before the changes are rechecked? Um, my recollection nowadays for the tankage is that is done with effectively putting... they still put effectively plastic balls in the tank? Yes, yes. They're sourced, uh, at least when I had to do this last 20-plus years ago, uh, we granted... Uh, chassis constructors would just have them in their inventory to purchase to make it easy for their their teams to access. But I do remember back in the day, it was not uncommon that if we needed more than what we had, could be wherever it might be, say the we couldn't get them easily at the track. Usually, some sort some sort of marine uh, type store. And again, I realize if you're in the middle okay. of wherever of a desert, you're probably not going to find a giant place selling. Uh, stuff to help uh, run your various boats and whatnot but yeah remember finding those and if not buying them uh, at some sort of marine vending type store and i don't remember exactly why what purpose they served uh on the water with uh, whatever vehicle but yes uh, these are um thick uh, i don't remember exactly what materials uh, they were made out of back then or what they might be made of today but uh, a thick wall so that whatever um, fuel, caustic fuel, would not uh, eat through them. Uh, but, yeah, these are just displacement balls. So you pack whatever number of them into the fuel cell, and that takes up a certain amount of volume to help bring down yep. your capacity to whatever uh, it's said to be. So that process is totally normal. Every yep. racing team just about is familiar with doing it. Uh, the only thing that takes a little bit of time, is capacity check so you know for the most part that with this fuel tank in this specific size ball it will consume pick a number uh a half a liter or whatever again whatever it might be hey we need to bring down yeah. the capacity by five liters okay well, we're going to put in 10 of these balls and again i'm just making it up it's never an exact science so you're going to want to need to have to fill the tank met and then pump out and measure exactly how much comes out 
and that's where you usually see teams pop the uh the hatch open uh, to the fuel tank and either add in one more or two more maybe even pull out one if they went a little bit too far so that's the only time consuming part of that uh it's rarely okay. an exact science the rest of it engine electronics and the little rock again um engine uh, engine electronics uh is usually the pretty simple way in which things like boost levels etc can be adjusted and of course that can also be seen and observed by the rule makers so that's in modern tech uh is relatively simple uh, to actually sort out with a a modern current generation gte car uh, what's next mp well and it sounds like you're in the shower now so that's good i appreciate your that's dedication yet again <laughs> it's kitchen time yes okay uh honestly i think it's up to you brother because uh the rest did not fall under uh ryan kish's favored status so what does that mean that means that ryan Thanks. who we greatly appreciate uh for his efforts to assemble our weekly q a list he highlights the ones that he thinks that he likes or thinks that fit the best on the show and then the rest of you you're all like goldfish to him Let's go. Let's go a quick run through some of this one. Uh, we've got uh, FE Geek Formula E Geek. Now that it looks like a very successful championship will become of LMHMDH. Do you think Aston Martin may decide to change their decision and re-enter? After all, they've got a car that complies with regulations. I guess it wouldn't even need to be a factory effort. Um, they're not showing any interest whatsoever uh, in coming back into this, and I think that will prove to be an error for them. But, uh, hey, they're the guys with the money. I'm the guy with the thoughts and the podcast. Uh, Michael Zenger uh, says, how do you rate the chances of Sigma Tech running two Alpines next season in WC or at least at Le Mans? Possible. There are chassis available now for the team, but it's going to require budget. It's as simple as that. It comes down to the money. And, of course, we've got a... Uh, re-expanded you know a rejuvenated uh wc calendar which means it's a more expensive season next season than this season so i think in the current climate i think not absolutely likely but some questions i I guess we'd need to ask of philippe signo etc when we get to bahrain uh, let's have a quick look. Ryan Terpstra says, is it a fair rule you must finish to be classified in a 24-hour race? WRT this year, Toto a couple of years ago, lost a podium. They rightfully earned by complete, completing more laps in the competition, but broke down on the final lap. It's heartbreaking, is the straight answer, uh, but it's been the rule forever. And I guess part of me says, you're sort of right. And part of me says, them's the rules. Um, it does seem a bit odd when you see some of those... Um, uh, race results MP that you've got cars that are not classified that have completed perhaps a hundred laps more than a car that actually uh, finishes and on some occasions finishes on a podium. Um, that that does appear to be a little bit odd. Maybe that, together with a lot of other rules in motorsport, yes, I'm looking at you, Formula One, do need to be reviewed in light of circumstances that um, you know the, the sport throws at you. Uh, what else? Uh, Lance Snyder mentioned last week about a pro option for GT cars in a couple of years, but only if they make numbers. The last thing you want, teams going full. Uh, Aston Martin leading to a two or three car class. My point on uh, on the pro side of things, MP, and this uh, you may or may not have heard on last week's show, is I would like the market to decide. And I think what I'd like to hear from the ACO, I'm not expecting to hear it, but I'd like to hear from the ACO to say, OK, Corvette, you'd like a class. 
we welcome that and that would be something we'd be open to. Here's the date by which we either have five full season entries or think of a number, more than two, um, and unless and until we get those entries, there will not be a class. Then the market can decide. That, I think, would be a fair way of doing it. I'm not a fan of regulating out a class that could be uh, something to add to the, to the show. The, the, the point here, though, is it would have to be a full-season class, not a class for just the Le Mans 24 hours. Why not? Why can't we have an IMSA class as we've had in previous years? I think there's only one fair answer to give here, MP, is they don't need it anymore. It's as simple as that. It looks to me as if they're going to have a potential embarrassment of riches. And whilst that might be a downer for one of the biggest teams that has raced up over the last 20 years, that team has options moving forward, as many others do as well. Uh, similar kind of question from Daniel Summersgill, uh, who's asking about a GT3 Pro Class at the Mon. Uh, Porsche and Ferrari, of course, are interested. There's a surprise. Why would that be? That would be because they've got a pro car in a completely different class. But it's not to say that you couldn't find other people that might be prepared to commit. I think that option should be one that the ACO look at as an opportunity to grow the WEC moving forward beyond the hypercar class. Uh, right Turn Lover says, refresh my memory, were, was I also at the 2013 Fuji six hours when... North Hand Sam, that's uh, Sam Collins, worked as the puddle analysis. I was indeed. I was the colour commentator together with John Hindoff for that race. And yes, we filled for seven hours of live television um, uh, with, what was it, 15 laps behind safety cars and Yannick Dalmas going out puddle hopping uh, to see just how bad the conditions were. And the answer was very bad indeed. You might also recall, MP, that was the one and only time that, uh, in theory, a uh, Audi um, hybrid LMP1 car ran unrestricted because there was a problem with a couple of which of the cars it was, and they took off the snorkel effectively from that car, and it ran behind the safety car effectively on its air restrictor. Uh, also lost at the race, by the way, uh, because that car, I think, had been leading before it came in under the safety car and left at the back of the LMP1 crew. Um... Question about a Garage 56 car. I've heard nothing about Daniel Summerskill says, have we heard anything more about the Mission 24, H24 hydrogen car and a race debut? No, which um, is beginning to worry me a little. Uh, Damien Peachman asking about Rio Harakawa getting another test of the GR010. Is that potentially something about uh, future driver changes in the factory team? Yes, potentially. Uh, Who might go? Don't know. Uh, might that happen very quickly? I sort of hope not. I think they've got a very um, a very competent team. But consider this. I've seen a bit of the debate about this, MP, and interested in your side of this, which is lots of people thinking, are Toyota about to dump a driver? Uh, is that why Rio Hirakawa is going for it? With nobody actually thinking... Is one of Toyota's drivers about to take a, uh, <laughs> a seat with another factory, mm. bearing in mind they're the only guys who've actually had race-winning hypercar experience? That, I think, might be the more sensible question to ask, Mike Nip. Yeah. Can I admit that I rarely feel as if I have a full grasp of what Toyota is wanting to do, about to do, or just did? I don't know if that's mm. a criticism, I just know that 
with so many other manufacturers involved in endurance racing, I do have pretty solid feelings of what they're doing, what they're thinking, where they're going. Toyota's always got me on my toes. Never fully feel like I know. So it's questions like this that I love where you go, yeah, we could go 19 different ways on this. (laughs) I have no idea. Uh, I mean, they keep things spicy. I think it's it's Toyota is a bit unusual in that you've got the principal WEC race team uh, obviously based in Cologne, but of course the budgets are defined for them from Japan. There are therefore, like a lot of uh, race uh, programs, MP, lots of people in a kind of I'm not saying kind of a racing by committee. It's not that. But uh, certainly it's not as straightforward as there is a management team and they will make all of the strategic decisions. There are other parts at play in the kind of Toyota uh, end of things. It's, uh, it, it is complex, um, but reasonably straightforward. I mean, I, I'd, I'd thought we might have a driver change maybe a year or so ago. That didn't happen. And let's face it, what you've now got is uh, six drivers, all of whom are Le Mans winners and world champions uh, in that team. It's been a very successful sextet of, um, of of drivers. And my guess is, at this point, the decision is more likely to come from a driver than it is from the team. Why would, why would you get rid of a Le Mans winner and a world champion? Well... There you go, speaking with intelligence and <laughs> logic. Where do we go? Are we uh, are we done weckety wecking ourselves? Or do uh, we... Let's let's have Rocky. a quick look. Hold on, hold on, Rock, buddy. So what he's been doing is laps, which is fitting for the show. And I've actually I'm, I'm holding him down here. He's jumped up on the table. He's fine, I'm petting him a little bit, but holding him down. So what he's been doing is laps, and he loves to do this, and he does this most days so we normally feed him and i realized for those who just want to hear sports car stuff you're saying shut up idiot actually you probably say that most of the time when i speak it's 105 p.m he and his sister rosie usually get fed around 1 1 30 he starts chirping starts barking wants to do his first pit stop let me know uh i don't know 11 12 maybe and when I don't respond, and this is a daily thing, so uh, either he's just a, an asshole, like I said, or they have short memories. Sorry, Rock. No, you're staying here for a sec, bud. Um, he starts doing laps. So he'll go out into the living room, come back into the office, jump up on the right side, uh, almost hit the mouse every time, walk across my desk in front of me, right in front of the keyboard. It's only maybe six-inch gap between the edge of the uh, table and the keyboard. And I've got the uh, microphone boom and the right right mic right in front of me so he splits between the keyboard and the mic jumps up walks across meows walks over to the left and stares at me like a psycho killer i get tired of that so i kind of brush him off and he jumps down and then we get this routine over and over again so i don't know what an average rocky stint length is but i do now want to measure it and see how many laps he does before uh, he either runs out of uh assholishness or I finally give in. But yes, so um, that's what we've got going on here. We have a cat race, apparently, uh, and I Excellent. wasn't expecting it. Right. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run through uh, the last few bits and pieces from the WEC side of things, and then maybe finish with five minutes or so with some of the general questions. So sure. let me just go 
Chuck uh, some stuff through it. Polaris says, what chances, if any, have seen Mercedes back at Le Mans with an LMH prototype? <sighs> it's pretty clear from some of the social media interaction that the ACO have been putting out that they would like that to happen. I'm hearing absolutely nothing on that front whatsoever at the moment. Um, let's have a quick look. Silvio Constantin says, uh, he has two questions. Uh, but there's only one here. What do I do during a 24-hour race when I'm not in the commentary booth? Um, well, uh, the Le Mans 24 hours, we had two commentary teams uh, this time. For some of that time, I was either eating or sleeping is the reality. Uh, actually, quite a lot of my time that wasn't in the commentary booth was spent e- eating or sleeping. And this is the first time uh, that I've actually not done what I would traditionally have done back in my Radio Le Mans days and the early days doing the TV, which is, for the most part, going back to check on my guys in the media room. We had a couple of guys in the media room. We had another uh, team for DailySportsCurrentRacer.com uh, operating remotely under Stephen Kilby's direction. Uh, but generally speaking, what I'm actually doing at the moment um, we're uh, away from the commentary, away from the microphone, is resting up. It's it's a pretty grueling week. And also assisting the incoming team with some data, with some storylines, etc. Remember, I had a couple of uh, newbies for the Le Mans 24 Hours uh, this year. So newbies in the commentary box, at least. Not newbies to Le Mans with Ollie Gavin and Darren Turner. And thanks so much, Darren, for stepping in at the last minute. Um Let's have a quick look. Form fifty four eleven says uh, he says probably the most probably the dumbest question in Twisk history struck me as I was watching Le Mans. What does qualifying happen after a single practice session? Then the field goes on to practice twice more. It's a it's been a, a switch this this year, and I think we might see further switches here between uh, a first free practice session, then into a long qualifying session for which the teams qualify for the grid apart from the top six in each class or the five hypercars who go on to hyperpole. It was a bit odd. Um, it caused a little bit of friction. It was a, a, a highly um, unusual loss of temper from Philippe Albuquerque, who felt that his efforts had been consistently stymied uh, through that session. <laughs> you know what? Them's the breaks, uh, I think is what I would say about it. That, that is just the luck of the draw. It's a little odd uh, that that's the way things actually happen, but I guess what you want is these teams to be of high quality out of the box. We then get into the kind of the heavy lifting of uh, fuel stint work, of the night laps that need to be sorted, etc., etc. It will be interesting to see whether or not that evolves for 2022 and beyond, but uh, I've seen a couple of comments about it. Not something, I'll be honest with the MP, that... Just exactly what the benefits are to me, my business, my sports of that vote. Oh, that'd be none. There you go. Um, I love the fact that you were going to get some, stop talking about politics, just talk about sports. I'm never going to listen again. Comments to which we say, okay, I'm sorry, we'll refund your... It's a direct uh, direct, um, impact on the sports of a political decision. Um, you know, and that's that. If you don't like talking about politics, don't vote in a referendum. Don't be fully formed human beings with thoughts <laughs> on many things and beliefs. Just talk about the thing I want you to be. Um, Graham Goodwin, uh, I feel like we should maybe speak about other 
categories, or do you want to keep going here? Let's. No, no, no. Let's get. Let's go through a couple of uh, general questions. We've got nothing in fun, so no one's having fun this week. Um, but I think uh, we just killed I, it I, with I the Brexit quickly. talk. But that's okay. Fair enough. Let's let's uh, let's do a quick. Ten minute grab back. Five minutes for you. Five minutes for me. On uh, general. Wow, you grab away there, pal. Uh, let's well, see. Let's, yeah. What do you you what, throw? Hurl something at me, you gibbon. Well, I I I've got a thought about the the, the F one race at Spa. We've got James Counter and Ian Keyworth uh, talking about the uh, as Ian says the recent shambles of the Belgian Grand Prix. What do you mean? Can I'm it, still not finished doing my uh, my scoring chart. <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> that's some complex stuff right there. This, um, James Counter says, do you think the F1 race in Spa is just an attempt of a race that was even less than a race that there never was in Fuji? Uh, second time that one's been referred to in this uh, this show. Ian Keyworth, following the recent shambles, can either of you think of anything similar that's happened in the world of sports cars and GT? Oh, Fuji! Um, and James also says, do you think the confused race might be the kick up the backside the FI needed to sort out the rules uh, not just the sports car ones. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, also, the, what left the the thing that I was left with that I would imagine every paying fan at that event left with was the yeah. very clear message the FIA and Formula One sent, which was, "We are more important than you. We yeah. are the most important people." Here, the only entity that matters to anyone here is us. That was the saddest thing for me to come from all of that. The whole, well, the rules say if you complete more than two laps, it can be considered official. That they went back out when the conditions were clearly no better than they were before. Uh, completed two laps to then have that two more than two laps done. They'd gone out previously. Um this was all done so that they could say we have met the contractual rule based all the things that we have to say we have done to have this race considered official and complete and satisfy everything this was a procedural grand prix and nothing to do with competition, nothing to do with the people who bought tickets, nothing whatsoever for anyone other than those inside to ensure they did not get sued. That's what this was. And so I don't blame them for wanting to make sure they didn't cock things up for themselves, but where this got very, very sad was the clear and public evidence that we're not doing any of this for you. We don't care about you. We care about us and being able to say we did, by rule, complete a Grand Prix. Where you have to step back a little bit, this is overstating the obvious, everyone there said, look, the weather wasn't going to get better. We did not have any real options uh, to continue waiting, uh, to stay over on Monday, right? That was the other thing. Well, why don't we try again tomorrow? You think about the amount of, of volunteer track marshals that come and help put on an event. They all have work to go to, etc. Uh, on top of there being a Grand Prix this weekend and whatnot. I understand the reasons why they couldn't just simply stay over and do it the next day. The part that saddened me, though, was the, okay, what's more important? Saying that technically we met the minimum criteria to call this a race 
a race happened. A victor has been declared, although there was never any racing that took place. Compared to, we could do that. Or we could say, hey, people who bought tickets, I don't know when, but we're going to be back. Because you came here, you have sat through nightmarish conditions. Everyone here is soggy. Everyone here is soaked. I mean, truly, you want, this was an endurance race, Graham, for multiple days at Spa for the fans in dreadful conditions. Uh, the thought of let's cover ourselves off and then, yeah, well, hey, we'll talk about refunds or maybe later, whatever. The fact that that's the route, the cold route that things went. There's part of me that hopes even if refunds take place, um, when the next Spa Grand Prix takes motion and they show up, I'd love to see the hills empty. Just as a statement back to the FIA and F1 of, really, that's how much we matter to you? Eh, hey, we got a way to tell you how much you matter to us. Uh, the we don't give a crap about the fans um, demonstration, that's what I'll never forget. Yeah, I, I don't tend to disagree. I think it was... It's sad when people people have been waiting to get back to watch live sport for an awful long time. Um, I feel it. You feel it. We're all in our different ways. I've been very lucky to be able to go and do my job live, uh, you know, at uh, at the track for longer than the vast majority of people have been able to go back and watch the sport they're passionate about. For very many people, they'll go to see one motor race a year particularly in grand prix terms because it's damned expensive to go and see it um you know going and seeing it as an individual is <laughs> quite an investment to go and see it as a family is a huge amount of money and if that's what you get for your money uh, for a single year and you go away and feel satisfied as a as an uh, a race organizer with that i want to put to one side by the way one other thought here which is my thoughts are with the people at Spa. They've had one awful oh, last Lord. few weeks oh, with the, the murder, murder of their CEO. Um, you know, on awful last few weeks. <sighs> this, I think, should be a stain on Formula One. I'll be absolutely honest with you. Not, you know, it's they need to come back and have done some real soul searching about this and come to a solution for those people that actually makes sense in the real world, not their bubble world, um, because you're dealing here with real people. And I, I struggle to disagree with a single sentiment you've expressed here. Well, James's uh, point here, Graham, is, is the key one. Do you think that everything that happened might provide that kick-up uh, FIA no. and, and Formula One's backside? No. And, and that's where you can only hope, because this is a thing where, as you mentioned, beyond the CEO there, Obviously, the massive flooding, towns being wiped off the map, all the deaths from you know from that as well. It's just a hard time. So, if well, you're not fully well, cognizant of that coming in, that wow, this might actually be the only piece of of sunlight that some folks have had in this general yeah. region for quite some time. That would be just a, a criminal oversight of of lacking that perspective to start before the first lap has been turned in practice. But then to see and know that the forecast is terrible the whole time. You hope, of course, to get windows where you could hold a race. It's not as if, Graham, 
on Sunday at 1 p.m. or whatever the race start time was that they realized, oh, this might be difficult. It was known coming into the event. It was evident the whole time they were there. This is where you start game planning and saying, if we can't get this in, what are our options? Okay, so maybe staying over to Monday isn't possible. Okay, great. Well, maybe we just simply, we've convened. We can't do this. We give us time. We apologize. Not our fault because of the weather, but we will make good and come back to you at some point in time. It Who knows? It might not happen this year. Maybe there are two spa rounds next year. Again, I don't know what it is, but this should yep. not have been a crisis on Sunday that had to be figured out in the moment, knowing everything that, again, the weather had been that way and the forecast, what it was. But this is just where I hope, bigger picture, where you say, what was Don Panos's trademark statement that ended up becoming his series uh, benchmark statement for the fans? You always knew the American Le Mans series existed for its fans. They did things not only with a statement that said it, but also actions. You th- think about most of the other motorsports that you love, NASCAR, IndyCar, uh, WEC, ELMS, run down the list, whatever it is. In most instances, they let you know, we couldn't exist without you. We love you. We want to do things that make you feel like you are us. We are you. We are one. When you have F1 continuing to not just perpetuate, but prove the, yeah, got what we needed. Thanks. We're, you know, washed our hands of you. We're out. Yeah, we might give you some money back. But, hey, we got what we were satisfied. And you go, yeah. The, the, I don't, what I love about James's point, Graham, and we'll move off this, and I know we said we'll do five minutes apiece, and that was a lie. Um, maybe <laughs> this is the thing that makes some of the, the new folks in charge the, the new people who maybe are a little more human than some of the former folks in charge, maybe it'll help them to realize that, yes, the exclusivity and the glitz and all that stuff, of course, that's part and parcel of Formula One. You broke something here, though. You you, you let the, the inside words out. You, you demonstrated the thing that you we've always known, but we never wanted confirmed. Now you've shown, yeah, hey, we got what we needed. Sorry it sucked for you. Yeah, we'll, we'll figure some other stuff out later. But uh, nobody out, well, nobody within the paddock went home, but nobody went home happy. Uh, I hope, James, that they are embarrassed and have received the reaction from the fans because on top of the day and the weekend sucking because of the weather, everything else that happened recently beforehand leading into it, <sighs> utter failure. Completely agree. Uh, I'd like to, uh, there's a couple I'd like to take before I finish with a couple of questions we got from Lawrence Kwai that, that speaks to some of this, but it's uh, it's a big question. Excuse me a second. But um, a couple of questions. Michael Zenger uh, asked the question, as does Damien Peachman. Um, we don't often get questions about SRO racing, but there's a couple here. Uh, Michael asking, what's my opinion on the crash at Brands Hatch in the Sprint Cup uh, race from GT World Challenge Europe that sent Ollie Wilkinson in the Jota McLaren into the trees? Hashtag me personally. Michael says he thinks there's enough room for three cars. And Damien Peachman says, does Brands Hatch need a safety review after the Jota uh, McLaren crash? Now, I don't know if you saw this one, MP, but this was... 
Uh, Ollie Wilkinson in the 38 Joe to McLaren, which, by the way, the guys turned around in two days after the thing ended in the trees. And that car will race this weekend at the Nürburgring. So spectacularly well done to the Jota Sport crew. So Ollie Wilkinson defending from Raffaele Marcello for the lead through traffic. Marcello uh, chose wrong, got uh, tagged up behind a uh, car that was being lapped, a Ferrari that's being lapped, tagged the rear of Ollie's uh, Jota McLaren, which went uh, into over and over the barriers and into the woods. Um, how did I see it? Okay, deep breath. Uh, absolutely avoidable by Marciello. Uh, it was avoidable contact. He was punished for avoidable contact and was given a substantial time penalty. And I think that was the least that could have happened in those circumstances. We are lucky in those circumstances that wasn't serious injury to Ollie Wilkinson. He was defending from the lead of that race, whether or not you expected Marciello, who is an absolute superstar uh, to have overtaken him in the last few minutes of the race is a side issue. Marciello could have waited, lost a little bit of ground and potentially lost um, second place uh, to the chasing WRT uh, Audi, which, by the way, won that race as a result of the Jota car being out and Marcello being penalised. He chose not to. He chose to make that move and hit at least one car, I think possibly even two. Um, I Why think stop the there? Decision, the, dis- the decision was uh, was you know not a difficult one to, to make. He hit the car that was leading the race, that affected the results. Uh, I think he was lucky to stay in the overall results, to be absolutely honest with you. No, he wasn't happy with the result. Um, yeah, then he pulled into the car park, care. started ramming a bunch <laughs> of spectators' cars. <laughs> it was a nightmare. He ran a, a yep. police cruiser off the road. I mean, this was just uh, crazy. Do do you need a safety review at Brands Hatch after that? Of course you do. You know, Cars should not end up, in any circumstances, defeating the safety features of that track and ending up in trees. Of course you need to review what happened in that incident uh, without a shadow of a doubt. As I say, Ollie's fine. He's going to be racing this weekend. The car has been repaired. That's going to be racing this weekend. But I think we've got to file that one under of what might have been. John Schultz has got one question uh, I'm going to have a crack at before we finish with uh, with uh, Lawrence Kwai's uh, question. Uh, read today about a new winter endurance race in the Middle East, the Bahrain 1000. It's a prime race uh, from the team that brings you the Gulf 12 Hours. Looks like more and more organizations are trying to take advantage of this time slot and geographical location. Insights or comments? Yes, I'm amazed that others haven't done likewise. I can tell you that others have certainly tried. We did comment, uh, I think, uh, maybe last week's show and some slightly off-color comments from, and unlike him, from Stefan Mattel talking about, I think, aimed at the Asia Le Mans series and it not being effectively it effectively being a European series in the Middle East and not an Asian series. <sighs> Come on. Number one, Stefan absolutely has been talking to the same people at those same circuits. The, the big difference here is he couldn't find a time slot. Number two is now is not the time to be sniping at rival series. If, if they have found a successful formula that keeps the, uh, the teams, the drivers, uh, racing and for that matter their partners involved um, 
the industry partners involved as well, then I would suggest that any race organiser wants to be patting on the back and saying that's well done in these circumstances. Um, yes, uh, it is, of course, an expanding marketplace right now because of the uh, the inability to actually get international racing underway in Southeast Asia. We're obviously going again there with the Asia Le Mans series uh, this coming winter uh, again. And I hope that, that is the last time we'll have the Asia Le Mans series in that format. But I think people have learned and I think we may see some kind of evolution of what happens in the off-season for Europe uh, in other parts of the planet, whether or not that is the Middle East and Southeast Asia, whether or not that is one uh, series, two series, a series that involves both, I think remains to be seen. And that will depend on how things come back together. But at the moment, it's been a it's been good to see some high quality venues with Dubai, with Abu Dhabi, with Bahrain, all involved in various degrees. Um, to help out where calendars have not been able to find any kind of long-haul racing at all that uh, we managed to get some things together. Final question. Um, I'm going to give this one to to you, MP. Lawrence Kwai says, thanks for the insights you both provide each week. seems in the past two years, climate change, or whatever you want to call it, is starting to be a major factor in endurance and even spring racing with major delays or truncated competition due to to weather does the sport need to evolve so that racing can continue during adverse weather modifications to tracks better drainage changes to car designs f1 commentary this weekend mentioned old bridgestone monsoon tires that never got used did they need to bring those back before we go into that though we do tend to go off piste a little bit uh, on the weekend sports cars and you're over there in the united states terrible scenes coming out of multiple uh, parts of your fine nation uh, this week, MP, uh, with the South again hit by the storms. And then we're, we're seeing, you know, uh, very recently as we record this, some absolutely awful scenes coming from New York and New Jersey with uh, with huge flash, flash floods and clearly people being caught out and hurt and killed in those circumstances. It is real. Climate change is, there's no doubt in my mind, we're, we're seeing more and more instances of what we would have regarded as being once-in-a-lifetime weather conditions. They're happening every year. Um, so something's tripped. So one, my sympathies to you and your countrymen this evening, MP. But two, this is a real issue, isn't it, that we're going to have to deal with? Completely. thing that we here have heard most uh, most recently or more of most recently have been either giant heat wave related. Uh, oh my gosh. You know, not can we hold a race, but will crew members, and this is not specific to endurance racing, but uh, in vehicles where adequate airflow within the cars is uh, questionable, will the drivers be able to survive, uh, make it to the finish without, you know, some sort of serious physical malady, crew members in multi-layer fire suits and this is sometimes having to wear masks the whole time uh, or similar due to covid uh or the flip side the heavy crazy it, what point of the year is it and how much rain has fallen and what so for those who like to kid themselves and believe that uh climate change is not happening or that we as humans are adversely affecting the environment. 
Um, I don't know what to tell you, but I can tell you that the, wow, it has been brutally hot at places at times of the year where not too long ago they weren't, or why is it raining so bad right now, and why are things flooding right now when normally they aren't? All you have to do is wake up and read words on the interwebs or on newspapers or whatever your favorite method is and go, yeah, this is actually becoming a, a, from a frequency standpoint, it's happening a lot more. And so knowing that it's a great question, uh, if and how does racing need to adapt as the climate appears to be uh, sending us messages where things get a little bit tough is you'd say, okay, from a series standpoint, of course, they can make changes. We're going to, whether it's a quadruple, hyper, insane, nuclear rain tire for that kind of condition, we could do that. There are some specific things, again, you can try and mandate as a series, control the, the drivers, cars, whatever that you put on track. In rare cases, though, do those series own all of the tracks they go to? So talking about drainage, talking about whatever, whatever. Hey, maybe it's not a drainage thing. It's just you haven't repaved in 20 years and your track surface is super worn. And so even on a fine day, cars are slipping and sliding, trying to find grip. Um, Series really cannot force track owners to do much of anything as they're independent entities. So... Uh, hey, here's another one. Some tracks you go to and you sit in a grandstand and it's covered to some degree. So if bad weather happens, provided it's not so bad the rain's coming at you or snow's coming at you sideways, it's maybe possible to sit in a grandstand and observe uh, compared to have to go and huddle if by chance you didn't bring an umbrella or something else to protect yourself. Not every track does that, though. I know most tracks here in the U.S., grandstands, just sitting out fully exposed. So the expectation is you're going to have sun. It's going to be normal. Everything's fine. But, again, just some of those things where you go, all right, well, if we are going to be continuing on this path and things are going to be a little bit more unpredictable, okay, it is summer. Therefore, we expect this kind of weather. It is fall. We expect that or autumn. If this is going to be a variable, it would seem to be smart for tracks to think in that capacity and try and make their venue something that is, call it, universally welcoming compared to, hey, normally we go to this event in September and it's sunny and nice, but uh, the heavens are, are showering a trillion gallons of water on us per minute. Yeah, I don't know if I want to have to bring <laughs> a whole army's worth of gear just to enjoy the race since maybe the track has done nothing to make it possible to uh sit there and enjoy without without having to uh look like i'm about to go deep sea diving so it's a great question um i would think graham maybe you agree and maybe finish this off with uh thoughts on whether that's a proactive thing or you think tracks will react if folks start saying hey uh or or series aren't preparing themselves for these ongoing changes as they develop. Well, it may be we flip back to the question about the Spa uh, F1 race, and maybe this is the point where Formula One and 
the FIA can make a contribution here that do do a study into what is possible. They are the ones that, of course, insist on what is a class one circuit, that that rule book is enshrined within FIA regulations. Then maybe to be a class one circuit, there needs to be a degree of weather readiness and that high rock. That's and, Rosie. Uh, and that, that, oh, Rosie. Hi, Rosie. You're joining in, really, you. girl. It's a tag team effort. <laughs> Man, and you two rock. <laughs> All right, we maybe, better. They're going to start eating me. No, fair enough. Maybe, maybe that's what needs to happen here. Maybe that needs to be enshrined in regulations that it's a degree of track preparation, and for that matter, facilities for the spectators as well should be part of what is a Class 1 circuit. Tell them, Rock. I think so. Uh, I think we're probably going to have to give it a... a, a, a <laughs> they're they're going to take you down, boy. They're going to take you down. I think we're going to say, good evening. Yes, Rosie. Yes, Rosie. That's Rock. Oh, he's staring straight at me. He, he's seeing a big old uh, chunk of meat to take a bite out of. So I, I'm I'm imploring you, Graham. Uh, we, save me. Take Bill us out. home. Bill, take you home. We're going to say... Good evening from the Weekend Sportscast, part of the Marshall Pruitt podcast. Uh, and with thanks, as always, to Cooper Tyres, to Rocky, to Rosie, uh, to the Justin He's an Brothers, asshole. Don't thank him. <laughs> and to <laughs> and to TorontoMotorsports.com. I've been Graham Goodwin. He, of course, has been Marshall Pruitt. Um, stay safe in this wild and woolly world. We'll be with you next week. <laughs>